Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Desi Condition. I recently discovered a really cool page on Instagram called Millennial Career Polls, which has some fascinating polls on various issues that millennials face in the workplace, often mental health related. There's also a newsletter that they have called Millennial Jobs, which is a monthly newsletter, a monthly newsletter about job boards and resources across various sectors. And guess what? It's run by a brown girl. <laughs> so, yay! I'm speaking with Yamini today, who runs Millennial Jobs and Millennial Career Polls about mental health in the workplace. We'll talk about her work and why it's important for Desis to reframe the job narrative around satisfaction and happiness. And of course, something that we're all thinking about right now, which is the job search in the middle of this pandemic. I like to call it the C word. Yeah. I like to just like not give it a name, like Voldemort. Yeah, that's probably fair. That's a good coping strategy. <laughs> I'm just like not going to give it the power that it already has over me. The constant, yeah, the power it has over media and government and literally every aspect of our life right now. <laughs> yep, just just the C word. Um, so I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, tell us a little bit about Millennial Jobs and your yourself, of course, and your inspiration for it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me and super happy that you found the account helpful and, and interesting. Um, that's, that's definitely the goal, but, uh, yeah, um, I started the account probably, well, I, start, I started the account officially like not too long ago, but I've been doing polls, um, like this on my Instagram for a little while. Um, and the sort of journey and genesis of it was, I hated my job. Um, I was uh, in a pretty crummy job. It was really intense. Um, and I was feeling really dissatisfied. Um, and I was curious if like my friends and people, you know, who are in a sort of similar stage of life were feeling this same kind of, uh, itch to get out of this job or feeling dissatisfied or, or a desire for something more. Um, and so I just started asking people that question. I think my first question was like, do you like your job? Um, and you know, kind of that question coupled with others sort of bubbled into this bigger thing where now like I'm finding other people who are also dissatisfied, other people who are also sort of finding that there's, you know, after college, there's not a ton of venues to sort of discuss these kind of questions. Um, whether it be anything from like, do you have a mentor to, do you feel comfortable taking days off for work? Um, I think when it comes to, to your professional career, I think a lot of us are told that you're not supposed to talk about these questions. You know, you sort of keep this stuff inside and it's, it's, it's considered unprofessional to talk about these kind of things. Um, but I think as millennials, you know, it's important to share these narratives. I'm curious, why did you, um, why did you choose to talk about millennials in particular? Um, I think, you know, as I think about my career, um, it's, it's very different from how I think previous generations have considered it. So mm -hmm. I always think about this thing that like, uh, Hassan Minaj always says in his like shows, it's like the audacity of equality. Um, and I think that that's like the sort of difference that I think, uh, like my immigrant parents versus me think about when, you know, you think about your career where, um, they were kind of thinking about survival and just making it here. And, and, uh, you know, just, just sort of the, 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 the laying the initial groundwork where, um, I think a lot of my career is about, uh, sort of trying to change things or trying to move up, you know, and expect leadership and expect equality. And I think that that's the sort of 
difference that I found, at least in, in my own sort of immigrant mentality of thinking about my career. Um, but also just the millennial, uh, <laughs> thinking about how millennials may think about careers differently just because of the sort of experiences we've had from growing up in 2000, you know, being born into sort of the 9-11 or, or that sort of world growing up in a recession and then now coming out and working in what might be the COVID world or the C world, C word world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think a lot of us, like, especially like brown people kind of end up getting, and not just brown people, like Asians in general, I think end up getting into these professions that are more profitable. Like you see doctors who are like brown and like Mm -hmm. other non-brown Asians all over the place. Um, it's like the typical careers, right? Like uh, doctor, engineer, lawyer. Um, and then you always hear about the odd case, though, where they'll like drop out in the middle of med school because they're just like, what am I doing here? And I'm like, this is so interesting because it's like there's so many of us are just good at like these subjects that we're supposed to be good at. And then so we just believe that because you're good at something, you should do it. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, no, that's not, that's not the case at all. Uh, in my case, I was not good at those subjects. So it became very clear that I was not going to be a doctor. <laughs> right. yeah. um, but I do think that that's true. I think that, you know, uh, you talk to any sort of person whose, whose family is South Asian or immigrant, um, and there's sort of an expectation or desire for stability. And I think that's really what it comes down to is that like every parent wants stability. a degree of stability for their kids. Um, I think when I talk to, you know, Asian Americans who've had more, uh, unique careers that are not unique, I shouldn't say, but like careers that are not the sort of traditional doctor, engineer, lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that a lot of them also approach, you know, even being an artist or a journalist or being a politician with a sort of sort of desire for stability. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think, you know, a lot of them translate, like I was talking to someone who was a journalist and he was like saying that, you know, even as an Asian American, he felt the pressure to sort of become a doctor and all these things, but, uh, decided that he was passionate about journalism and felt like he translated his hard work and work ethic into journalism because he was like, I want to be in a career that's stable, um, and trying to build stability into creative or, you know, more, uh, non-traditional type career paths. And I think that to me, um, just, just speaks to, you know, kind of what it is like to, what the American dream and all of that is about is, is really, um, you, you, you want to sort of have the stability of, of, uh, making sure you have money to do what you want to do and that kind of thing. I have a question for you. Do you think that that need for stability would also exist in non-Asian Americans too? Because I mean, people need to pay rent. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's a degree to it, but I do think that like America is by no means an equal country. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, it, I mean, Trump being elected and a lot of the stuff that's happened politically in the last few years, whether it's immigration related or just racial kind of reminds you that, um, if you're not a white person in this country, there are definitely inequalities and challenges that, um, make you desire stability more than, than probably white counterparts in some ways. I mean, that's my mm-hmm. experience, but I, I do find that to be the case for myself, at least. Yeah, no, it's interesting to hear it. Um, I've always had similar suspicions, but I don't really have like, you know, um, the right background to like speak to it. Um, I guess like from your polling and I know that people sometimes submit questions to um, 
for you to pull on what are some of the topics that have been, I guess, some of the questions that have been surprising for you? Yeah, I think a lot of these polls have been surprising. Um, uh, I asked pretty early on, I was like, you know, work, I used to be an investment banker and like that job was just very grueling. Um, and I was finding myself just being really like frustrated and sad sometimes. Um, and so I asked, you know, in one of these polls, have you ever cried at work? Um, and it was like pretty surprising because like 60% of my friends had cried at work. Um, and I think that that was just to me, like very eye opening to the fact that a, like I, I'd cried at work at that point, I wasn't alone. And just, you know, I was looking at like, so when you ask these polls on Instagram, you get to see who responded. And this was back when this was still just like my personal account, but Mm -hmm. almost all the incredibly strong women I knew in my life had all cried at work. Um, and I, it's just interesting to sort of deconstruct like a, how does someone get to a point where they're 25, you know, graduated from an incredible university, have a very high paying job and is like finding themselves crying in the bathroom stall at work. Um, and so I think that that was just a very interesting reflection point to me about both what work culture is like in America at this point, um, in very high stress jobs and how I think a lot of us, um, have, have like how we're handling it. And I think that there is no, I found that there was no shame in crying at work, but rather like that, you know, you, you do it, you, you deal with it and you figure it out. And like, everyone has different coping strategies, but it's, it's okay to like be vulnerable in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned women. Do you think that things are different between the sexes in the workplace? Um, I certainly think that like, you know, in my experience, like I was in a very male dominated industry and people talk about that a lot, but I it, like, it was very palatable there. I worked in like oil and gas investment banking, which was very male, very white. Um, I don't think anyone goes into that job, not knowing that, but I think that everyone, when they're in the job finds that it surprises them in different ways. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, when I found that like all the people I knew that had credit work or most of the people I knew that credit work were women who I also respected professionally and personally. Um, yeah, I was surprised. And I was like, is this, you know, it kind of made me think, is this like something that women may do in the workplace that people don't even realize? Hmm. Yeah. I used to be a mechanical engineer. So, <laughs> so like these questions that I ask you, I already like have my own opinion on them. Yeah. yeah because it was in such a male dominated, white dominated world. Yeah. Uh, I, re- I remember, um, I remember like, getting to my first job and someone was like, you know, when I first heard you speak, I was surprised that you didn't have an accent. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, if you're looking at my resume, you know that I went to school. You know, I, I at least went to college here. Um, and possibly before that, like, I, I don't know. I always think the accent thing is, is like, it's a tough, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting thing that, and like, whatever people professionally connect with me, like they do not know how to pronounce my name. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I also think so it strange to me. Yeah, but I I used to get a bunch of emails that were like Mr. Yamini, and I was like, oh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely gotten the Mr. many times. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a male-dominated industry, that that's just kind of one of those. Yeah. Um, do you have have you ever cried at work, like in, when you were in the mechanical engineering space or otherwise? And have I cried at work? Yeah, I definitely have. Yeah. I think it's like such a personal experience, but I was so surprised that so many of us had. <laughs> yeah. 
I think for me, um, I remember a specific example. Like this was at, also at my first job. Like I remember I had a job and um, my coworker was actually a guy that I went to school with. He was in my class. He like in the same major and everything. And he never used to get yelled at for stuff. And like, I got yelled at constantly for stuff that didn't have anything to do with me. Like we were trying to upload some files um, to a client's um, like website that they made for like project management, whatever. And so I was just like uploading some files and it wasn't working for some reason. And then it was somehow my fault, even though like I didn't make this project management tool at all. I had nothing to really do with it. And so that wasn't like a time that I cried, but like, that's what I can, that moment for some reason sticks out to me so vividly because I'm just like, here's this guy who I literally went to school with, like, we were literally classmates. Like we used to talk in college and everything. Like I know him and he gets away with so much stuff and he was a good worker. Like he was great, but also like we had the same, we had literally the same credentials and yeah. so I was just like, I don't know why he gets treated so much better than me. Yeah. No, I think like when it comes to the workplace, it can be actually a very emotionally charged place because of stuff like that. Um, and you're not allowed to be emotional in the workplace, which is a very, and like when you're spending so many hours there, you know, it's, it's very hard to sort of create a mental divide in your head about what these spaces are. And especially when yeah. you see stuff that's like unfair. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it also makes it a lot harder for people to rise up the ladder, of course, um, whether you're a woman or just a person of color. Yeah, I, um, I think I think that there's a lot of subtlety and nuance and politics in every workplace. Um, and, and no one is ever taught in school how to figure that stuff out. Yeah, I mean, I think in addition to being like a Desi American in the first place, like, it's like what you were talking about before, we learn how to survive, but we don't necessarily learn how to like stand up for ourselves. So we don't know how to stand up for ourselves in the workplace either. We don't know how to advocate for ourselves to like, get that promotion or just to be treated with more respect. Mm -hmm. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, I think it affects um, the way that we as Desi Americans um, perceive ourselves in the workplace, the like status that we have in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to self-advocacy and leadership, it's like those sort of things are never going to be taught in the classroom and they come at a risk when they are. Um, like if you're the kid who's advocating for yourself in a classroom setting, you're probably fighting the teacher or, you know, it's like those things are inherently disruptive. Um, and if you're a minority that's not sure of its place in this country, it's very hard to be disruptive and to like learn how to, uh, advocate for yourself in that way. Um, I mean, I admire people who do it, um, because it is a very fearless act every time it's happened. Um, but certainly, yeah, it's a scary thing to do. Yeah. I was reading an article that suggests that there's research that, um, that shows that people see Asian American, even like Asian American men to be unfit for management because they're seen as more like passive and weak. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of interesting to me because in Asian culture, we do tend to give men a lot more power, but it's like, then we throw them into this environment where they're like surrounded by people who don't look like them. And then even they become more passive and weak. And it kind of speaks to like, just 
like the mentality, like the cultural mentality in general. It's just the fact that like we we lose like this power imbalance that we have in our homes. Like it 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 just completely gets thrown out the window in the workplace. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, I think uh, I mean yeah, like between that and then also like when the report came out about like like Harvard's admission process where they start they saw Asians as less likely. Um, to be in leadership positions or, or they saw them as, as kind of the same stereotype of passiveness. Um, you know, I think that that stereotype is, yeah, I mean, it's incredibly dangerous when it comes to, to leadership positions. And I think, um, uh, it has been interesting to see sort of in tech what that's looked like. So like, obviously, you know, with the rise of more South Asian men in leadership positions in tech, um, even when they are in those positions, they're seen as very different types of leaders than their white counterparts. You know, they're never the visionary. They're the, like, they're the person on the ground who's like very practical, getting the work done. It's not the person who's giving a ton of speeches or very visible, but rather, uh, the guy that's, you know, meticulous and hardworking and, and like the, the same passive sort of stereotypes persist even when people are put in those positions of leadership. Yeah. And, I was thinking about this a lot, and I think it is different a little bit for Asian Americans than it is for other people of color, because like, for example, um, the black community has a history of advocating for itself. We don't really. Um, I don't know if that I'm not saying that it's like better or worse for blacks versus Asians, but I just think it definitely looks different how we conduct ourselves in the workplace. Um, I think, you know, I, I think the, the history of America, uh, for, of Asian Americans in this country is also shorter. And I think the like mm-hmm. context in which a lot of us, I mean, at least for my family, it's like, you know, you immigrated to the U S because you were already in a pretty position of privilege. You came here to work, mm-hmm. at least in my family, it's like they came to work in tech when they came to the U S, um, which is already, you know, you're, you're not coming from like, a like, I think for a lot of immigrants that come here. Um, they always feel like they can go back to their home country if things go south here. Um, and so that sort of mental safety net, like I think even when Trump got elected and all this stuff was happening, if you talk to a lot of older generations, it's like they, they're, they're in the back of their head. They're like, well, like, you know, this is not our country really at the end of the day. And I think that that lack of ownership, um, from day one and like, you know, even 20 years out, like I'll talk to my parents and they're like, well, like India is still like our country or whatever, whatever that country may be. Um, until you see this country as your own, it's very hard to be vocal and advocate for change. Um, and I think that that onus is a little bit on the next generation and like people like you and me to sort of think about and, and really like become more vocal on, but no one's going to teach us how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. What you say, um, especially about the part where you mentioned that this isn't really home yeah. for a lot of like our parents' generation. It'll be like, yeah, even like super racist stuff will happen. Like, I don't know, some like one time, like someone like egged our car and it was like, well, like these are just, this is like, these are Americans they are not us. So like, you know, like th- there's almost an expectation that you're going to be othered because you are not from here. <laughs> um, what, what have you noticed as some of the main reasons that people tend to switch careers? Um, it's interesting. So one of the other kind of like surprising polls was like, would you rather have a great team, um, but work in a space that you're not super passionate about or have a like, okay team, but be in a space that you're super passionate about or like work at a country, the company that you're super passionate about. Um, and the 
like overwhelming majority was that people would rather have a really good team and work at a company that they're kind of so-so about at least at like the early millennial sort of stage. And I think that that speaks a little bit to why people leave their jobs because most people are not leaving because they like are, you know, passion is one thing, but I think the people really leave when they don't find opportunities for growth and, or they don't jive with the people. Um, I think very few people are going to like all of a sudden find something that they're like way more passionate about unless they're like searching for it. Um, and so for most of the time that the reason that people leave is because they're dissatisfied with the people at their company or with the opportunities to be promoted. So interesting. So it's like, it's almost like it doesn't matter. It matters what you choose to do as a career, of course, but it almost like ends up being dumb luck if you end up with a team that you really enjoy and you really jive with. I think that that's what makes your career. I think the advice I always give people is like when you're doing job interviews, especially like straight out of undergrad or, you know, uh, even later in life, really, it's like, it's as much an interview. People always say it's like, it's as, as much an interview of you, like you interviewing the company as it is like the company interviewing you. Um, and I think the first time I interviewed, I was like, Oh my God, just please hire me. Like, that's all I want. <laughs> um, and like, I'll do whatever you guys want. And, and, you know, like as you work, you sort of realize that like, that's not, this is a place that you're going to be spending a lot of time and is actually like weirdly part of your identity. Like when you introduce yourself, you're like, Oh yeah, I work at XYZ place. Um, and I do this thing. And that matters where you like, if you feel proud of that, if you like, like the people, whatever it is, like you, you have to sort of remember that your work is like the way that like modern working exists. It's not just one thing that you do from nine to five and then you come home and you fully disconnect from it. It's like part of who you are and what you do and what you talk to people about, um, and, and who, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I think like it really like do a lot of onus and due diligence, uh, put a lot of onus on the company and do a lot of due diligence on like who the people are and figure out at at, throughout your career, what kind of people you like to work with. Cause that also changes your ability to get promoted and changes your happiness like at the actual workplace. Yeah, all of that. And I think like asking a lot of questions during the interview is also really important. A lot of like personal questions too, and not yeah. like getting up into their personal lives or anything, but just like ask them how their life is like in the workplace. Cause it's like so telling. And I've, I've heard a lot of interesting responses. Like I, I like to ask people if they like their job, like just straight up be like, yeah. do you like your job? And I can remember I said that to a friend before and they were like, oh my God, like what? Like, what were you saying? You can't just like ask people if they like, I was like, yes, I can. And I've heard some really interesting responses because like I was interviewing for this job a couple of years ago and um, it seemed kind of interesting. I was like, okay, um, let me see like what the environment is here. And so I asked and this guy was like, um, I mean, you know, a job's a job. And I was like, whoa, okay, I need to run from this place. I need to run like... It's you would think that everybody would say like, yeah, it's great. You should come work here. But that's not the case at all. No, I think that like that, that's so true. And, um, I will say it's, you know, in this environment, like if you're looking for a job right now and it's a very tough sort of job environment, it's very easy to lose sight of this. Cause you're like, look, I need a job, um, and I'll kind of figure it out. Um, but just remember that you have options most likely in your life. And like, if you're, if you truly believe you're like a qualified person, I think it's, it's, it takes us a ton of willpower. And like, I certainly haven't done it at all points in my career, but 
definitely finding the right fit for you and like building options and, and being patient around that super tough, but is very valuable. Yeah. Um, I think along the same lines, another question that I asked that I thought was like another was very telling, um, was, you know, do you live to work or do you work to live? Um, mm-hmm. and the majority were work to live, um, which is an interesting parallel to like the idea that, you know, what I was saying earlier, it's like your job is also part of your identity. Millennials are also like, I think we're a more career focused group of people where like you're kind of told from day one to like, what is your passion? And like, what do you want to do? And you study something in college that's like, you know, might be what you want to do or whatever, but like there's, there's a kind of hyper focus on your career and your narrative. And it's surprising to me that at the end of the day, people still find that work is just like, they don't live to work, but rather it's like, there's still like one bucket of their life, not the whole thing. It's so interesting that they like openly admit that too. It's like the cognitive dissonance is just so high that it's normal to live to work rather than, or yeah, to live to work rather than work to live. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's like, it's a little bit like, like in some ways it's like nice to hear that people aren't like so obsessed with their workplace. Um, I also think I went into this with a bias because I was like working a hundred hours a week in that job and it was my life. And I kind of assumed that everyone else was also living to work. Um, and as soon as I left it, we realized that like, no, like other people have really figured out different ways to do this. Um, and work is just one aspect. Yeah, that's kind of wild. Um, it's a really good question to ask to at an interview because I think that people like to talk about themselves. Yeah. People I love think- talking about themselves. And I think we do kind of lose that when we start to see ourselves as a cog in the machine. Mm-hmm. I think we start to like lose our own identity. And so that's another big reason why like we have to be friends with our work coworkers. Yeah. Not, like we don't have to be like incredibly close to them, but we have to like them. Yeah. I mean, I think like <laughs> hot take, I think like all work sucks. Like no matter what the job is, even if it's like something you're super passionate about, like it, like it sucks to get up at like, I don't know, like seven thirty and like put on pants and go work there. <laughs> like I think, uh, <laughs> although that's, not the work from home world, but, um, I think that the, the nature of work itself is that it's, it's not going to be fun all the time or a lot of the time. And so I, it, it's funny, like the way the interviews and like all the stuff works, it's like very, it feels like very fairy tale, right? Where you're like, yeah, I'm like super passionate about, I don't know, something very specific that who knows if you're passionate about, like the, the nature of these interviews is to sort of make you know, jobs feel like bigger than they are. Um, especially cause they're like, Oh, how do you like culturally fit? And like, you know, how does this fit into your like life narrative? But it's like the actual task at hand is very small. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's where like the people and all of that is really how you find fulfillment and joy is like, it's not going to be from, at least for most people, it's not going to be from your like very small cog like job. It's going to be from yeah. the broader mission and keeping that in mind and like liking the people you're around. Yeah. It's also about work-life balance. Yeah. You know, if you're finding a career where you feel like you're spending time doing the thing you want to do, um, is the most important thing, whether it's like, okay, I'm in a job that I'm working a ton, but I like the kind of skill set or thing I'm learning, or I'm in a job where I have a lot of time for myself, but I can do the stuff I want to do afterwards. Yeah. And it is very much not 
not necessarily discouraged, but it's not encouraged either, I think, in the Desi world, because we're there to make money, not friends. Yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, modern concept of networking, it's so funny, like, again, I think it's, it's a little bit of a, it's a combination of a generational gap and a cultural gap. So where, like, I find that probably our parents' generation wasn't super close to their white coworkers because, like, A, they probably don't have that much in common, and B, like, their, like, the, the nature of work was, like, you work there nine to five, you get out, and then you don't really think about work when you get home. I think for us, work is, like, you're building your network, you're building your LinkedIn, whatever, like, you're, you're, the, the nature of your network is also people you're friends with, also people you went to college with. Um, it's, it's not, it's not just, like, one thing that you can sort of box away in your life. Um, and, and so like professional development also happens in ways that are like, I'm hanging out at a bar with like my friends and it turns out that like my friend is also like a recruiter at XYZ company and I'm going to like hit them up if I want to work there. Um, and so, you know, I I don't think that's like, that's not to say that you should be like professional in all aspects of your life, like go have fun, but that like everyone you connect with is also part of like your network in life. (laughs) Which is, I think, different from how previous generations viewed this. That's very true. Yeah, I think, I think also like even like our definition of success is really different just because we're out here networking, even if it's just like networking with our friends, like we're making connections. Um, and that's not necessarily what I think even like the connections that like our parents made, for example, were more about trying to maintain that same feeling of culture um, from back home out here in a foreign country. And so like our parents make friends and like at like the Mandir or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's more like a religious community or a cultural community. Um, whereas even our friendships look really different. And so our success looks really different too, because we're networking. They're not so much. I, yeah, I think that's super true. And I think like, uh, uh, it's so funny, like all of my parents' close coworkers at are like the people that they're friends with that work are all also other Daisy people. <laughs> um, mm. that's probably not going to be true for me. Just like, I think you, you know, America's not a homogenous place. And if you're yeah. a person who grew up here and all that, like you sort of, and that, that's not necessarily true for all people who grow up here, but I think it's like a little bit of a generational gap too. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, um, you know, when it comes to like hearing how people define success, I think that that's like something I'm also super interested in. Um, and through the millennial careers poll and newsletter have started also now kind of interviewing people who are in, uh, the sort of millennial bucket who've had interesting careers, um, and asking about these sort of questions around, like, how do you define success? How do you think it's different from previous generations? Um, you know, talking a little bit more about, like, what sort of tactics have helped you figure it out? I think all of us are figuring it out in our careers. And I think um, it's helpful to hear how other people's journeys have gone and, and what sort of things they found helpful and, like, what they regret and, and the bigger existential questions of, like, do you think that what you're doing is really helping people, that sort of stuff. So um, these interviews have been super interesting, and I've only done a couple so far, but the goal is definitely to try to interview a ton of people across uh, different industries and, and sort of hear that narrative, um, because I think that stuff gets lost when it comes to reporting around millennials. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um That'll be really interesting to hear. That's something that we definitely need, especially like people who don't necessarily come from a family that's like very um, career oriented and 
You would think that desis are like career oriented, but it's not. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's more that we're like success oriented, but for su- success for us means stability and like having the means to have a family and etc. Um, so I think it's like really important to reframe the question of success around like, okay, is success actually when I'm stable or is it actually when I feel fulfilled? That's something I struggled with for a long time. I think, so. I mean, same. I think the question of fulfillment is, is it's a tough one because I think it changes at every stage of your life. So where, you know, me right out of college would have been fulfilled in a job that was high paying and was something that like was, you know, deemed acceptable by society and all that stuff. And, and like felt like I was on whatever quote track. That is what I was looking for. Then what I'm looking for now is a job that gives me flexibility to, you know, pursue some creative stuff outside more focused on skill and development and meeting interesting people. And probably years from now, my job will be by my fulfillment will come from a job that gives me leadership opportunities, but also allows me to like have a family. And I think that that fulfillment is almost, I was talking to someone who does this very interesting thing that I recommend everyone does. Um, but she does like a quarterly check-in with herself, almost as if she's like a little company. Um, and so at the end of every quarter, she's like, what am I doing? Like, what do I care about? What did I find? Like, what did I learn about in this last quarter about myself at work? in my health and life and all that. Like, so she establishes sort of like areas that she wants to check in on. Um, what I found incredible about her is that she also follows through and makes behavioral changes based on that, which, you know, is way harder than it sounds. Um, so in her case, she found like one year, she, like uh, one quarter, she was, um, not exercising at all and found that she was getting really sad and like just very unhappy. And so, like blocked off time in her schedule the next quarter, every single day to like go take a walk or go exercise and made like really proactive changes. And I think that's really like the sense, the fulfillment is like not going to come without hard work. Um, and I think that that's like a very hard thing to realize. Um, but you have to do a lot of reflection and reflection is work too. Yeah. That's really interesting. I love, I love that checking in with yourself. Yeah. I, I didn't, I mean, I, I should start doing it now. Um, but it, it's really like she, she like try, literally tracks it. And I think people think that stuff is cheesy, but it really does help. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned leadership earlier. How do you think that the way that we see hierarchy affects the way that we interact with colleagues or superiors or inferiors? It's so interesting. So I was actually just talking to my friends about this who are also like other South Asian women. And, uh, you know, I, I like think that I'm like very loud and activist esque outside of work. Like I'm someone who would be very vocal about social issues, other stuff. Um, but in the workplace, I'm, you know, like I'll find myself sending an email where the person sent me a ton of feedback and I'm like, thank you for the feedback. I'm so excited to like work. Even though I'm like objectively not excited, I have no desire to like stay up till midnight to do all this stuff. I'm like, why am I thanking you for this? Um, (laughs) And, but, but it's, it's, um, I don't know. You're like told to do these things at work, even though you're like my, we always used to joke. It's like, I'm a lion outside of work and a mouse inside. Right. It's, and I think that like, that's the, that's a little bit of like what I'm learning about the workplace and myself. And it is that I've, I've kind of grown up respecting authority. Um, 
And, and maybe it's because I'm South Asian or, and grew up in that sort of like you respect your elders and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, I find it really hard to push back when it comes to work. Um, and I didn't even realize it until, so I switched from like finance to a career in tech and, um, in tech, people are way more open. The hierarchies are way more lax. They asked me for what I like. They were like, what do you think? And I was like, I'm allowed to think like I'm allowed to have an opinion on this. <laughs> and so it's, it's pushed me to like, sort of think about hierarchies a little bit differently and, and actually like raise my voice or not raise my, but like be more vocal, um, when I do have opinions. And again, that's an active effort and sort of deconstructing hierarchy in my own head. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, what have you learned about how people manage stress at work? <laughs> um, I don't think well at an early level. I think really successful people manage stress well. I think one of the things I learned about people who I found to be very high functioning in a leadership position, and I don't think this is possible for everyone, but without like a degree of work, um, is they, they go to work, they like grind, they work as hard as they can. They're like super present while they're there. And then when they're with their families, they like, don't think about work and they like actively put their phone down and they like make it a point to tell all their like subordinates and stuff that like, Hey, or subordinates are like their team and everyone that like, Hey, these are my offline hours. I'm spending time with my kid. Um, and more and more companies are very good and flexible around that kind of thing. But I really do think when it comes to stress management, it's, it's being able to leave work behind at some point in your day. And I think very few of us are really able to do that because of what I was saying earlier. It's like work is not one thing anymore. And we're all growing up thinking that work is also how we self-actualize and also how we like define ourselves and all that stuff. So it's very hard to like leave your day and even find two hours to not think about work. <laughs> you're, I think you're circling around one of my favorite words in mental health, which is boundaries. I'm yeah. so cheesy, <laughs> no, it, but it is one of my favorite words. It's, it's something that I have had. I think that it was like the hardest lesson for me to learn. And I'm still, it's still the hardest lesson for me to learn, especially with the workplace. Absolutely. I think it takes a degree of almost agency and bravery that you have to feel to tell your coworkers that I'm going to be unavailable for a certain time because I'm doing something for myself. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, like we were talking about earlier when it comes to authority figures and, and respecting that, like, I find it super hard to be like, no, I'm going to put my personal life ahead. And I think that's also hard because like, I don't have a kid or any actual like real practical liabilities. Um, and so maybe in a situation where like, I'm taking care of someone, I'm going to be able to be like, no, like this is a real priority. Um, but that should not discount my own life and priorities just because that's not what I'm doing right now. So, um, I think yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely a, an evolution and process. I think it, like the problem is that I always saw it. Like I can just speak for myself The I always saw it as like, I owe them something because they are providing me with my livelihood. Like I'm paying yeah. my bills. I'm able to literally physically live because of these people. And so I felt like I owed them something, but also they're able, they're only, they only exist because of the work that I do that like yeah. all of us are inputting at this company. We, we, we really scratch each other's backs. So we, yeah, I don't, they don't, you know, I don't owe them something. They don't owe me anything. I, that's so true. Um, the best, so I was on this project once and it was like taking up all of my time. So I couldn't work on these other projects. And I remember going to like 
someone who was a little bit older and being like, I'm so sorry. Like I can't work on your project right now. Like I, I was super apologetic. I was like, look, like I'm grinding on this other thing. Like there's no way that I can like finish this. And he was like, no worries. Like your job while you're at work is to work. And I, I trust that you're working. And so if you don't have time to do this one thing that doesn't like, I'm not going to see you as any less because I trust that you're working. And I think so many of us feel like we have to prove something at work you know, especially with work from home culture. Now it's like, you have to prove that you're working. Um, yeah, but, but really like most people believe that you are working, um, unless you have a really shitty manager. Cause like no one should be in an environment where they're constantly like having to prove that they're working, but really like find solace in the fact that like, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not able to complete something or not get something done, like it wasn't because you weren't working. It was because there was like, there was a resource misallocation. Um, and so I think a lot of us put that stuff on ourselves and get stressed out because we're like, Oh, like I can't finish all the stuff. And it's like, that, that shouldn't be on you. And if it isn't like be vocal and be very open and don't associate it with yourself, but rather with the actual project and resources and allocation of stuff. <laughs> beautiful. It's a beautiful <laughs> point. It's a beautiful point. And it, I think that it's very easy to forget that. Um, especially like you were saying, if when you're working at home, can, um, do you have, have you done some career polls like more targeted towards or like more about the C word situation? Yeah, tons actually. Um, and there's a whole section in the polls thing that's like career uh, that's C word focused. Um, okay. I'm actually pulling up some of them just cause I want to make sure I get the number of people right. But, you know, started doing a lot more in the beginning of just like how people are feeling and if they're worried about layoffs and, um, you know, in the beginning, and this was like earlier, like probably in March, um, we were asking just, you know, have you seen a decrease in the workload? Um, because now people are work from home and that was more of like a 50, 50. And I think like, as it's gone on, I think a lot more people feel like they have to, they have to work a little bit harder because they have to, I think a lot more people are afraid of losing their jobs. Um, so they, they feel a little bit of an onus to, to work a little bit harder. And like what you're saying, they feel weirdly grateful that they have a job. And so, um, are, are working a little bit more. Um, a lot of people who are also, we asked a little bit about, you know, people who were thinking of looking for a new job, if they're going to stay in their current job a little bit longer, because now they're worried about what the job market looks like. And that's, you know, certainly true. I'm just pulling up the poll one second. Uh Um, uh, yeah. So it was like, are you working harder, uh, in the anticipation of layoffs? I think most people said no for that one in terms of like the anticipation, uh, working harder specifically for that. Um, but anecdotally, I found a lot of people are, um, still like, uh, feeling the pressure to prove that they're working in a work from home situation. Um, I think the other thing I was surprised about, yeah. So during this pan- pandemic, have you considered a career change? Cause I know a lot of people in the hospitality or, you know, entrepreneurial sector who are, a little bit more worried, um, because you know, things are changing very quickly and there, the money is drying up. Um, for this one, uh, 40% of people said that they are considering, uh, that they are considering a career change as a result of this. And like, you know, that wow. that's, that's 85 people. That's, that's a lot more than I had thought. Um, but you know, I think it makes sense given that all of our sectors are seeing a huge shakeup and we're all spending this time at home kind of infinite amount of time at home reflecting on our lives and thinking about these questions. So, um, you know, outside of the very tactical changes that we're going to see with like the economy and jobs and unemployment, I do think that this reflective time is also going to create a certain amount of changes when it comes to people's behaviors around work. Um, and how we like, I think a lot of us are reflecting a lot in this period. 
Yeah. So what about people who lots of people have been at least furloughed, if not totally laid off from their jobs right now? Um, what are some things they can do to get back in the job market, especially in this time? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that's, it's, it's incredibly tough and you know, there is no sort of easy, I wish there was an easier answer. Um, and you know, we were even asking people how they've received their unemployment money. And most people who have applied have not, because this is a very slow process. Um, but I would say that when it comes to job resources and finding jobs in this, in this market, the number one thing I would say is just like, make sure that your mental health and your like, uh, the infrastructure that you go into the job search with matters a lot when it comes to like your support system, your self-confidence, all of that stuff. Um, and that's like a weirdly underrated part of how people approach job search. But I think in this environment where it's going to be a test of resilience and it's going to be tough, I really, I, I think a lot about making sure that people have a good support system and are very strong mentally going into this. Um, so that's just like step one, I would say. Um, and then in terms of like the more tactical stuff, yeah, I think, you know, in some ways it's an incredible opportunity to build your network because every single person is online and probably has more time to chat. Um, so in terms of like actual network building and and connecting with people, um, it's a little bit like people are more available and accessible. And so try to take advantage of that. Um, I think the second thing is, I mean, even in the process of making these newsletters, I've found so many job resources right now that are specifically for people who are unemployed. Um, I think a lot of startups have refocused their energy at finding, you know, creating job boards or creating resources or communities around people who are looking for jobs. There's like tons of spreadsheets now where every person who was laid off at a company, their contact information, their role, and it's like sent to hiring managers at other companies that are hiring. Yeah. Um, so just like the organizing efforts on, in the employment space are, are kind of underreported. Um, but there, there are a lot of resources and a lot of people working on this. Um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, obviously like companies aren't hiring as much. Um, and so that's definitely frustrating and something that's going to be a part of this. But I think being a little bit savvy around finding the right, like job boards. Um, there was this job board that I saw that was like every startup hiring in tech right now. (laughs) And, and so like, there's like seven different iterations of that. Look through them, do the kind of homework on that stuff because there are just people are making these resources more available to you right now. Great. Um, yeah. And the newsletter has a bunch of them and they're specifically catered for, um, that population. So, uh, if you don't find something in there, also hit me up (laughs) and I can, I can do more research and try to cater to what you're specifically looking for. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to link the website in the, in the description of this, um, of this episode so people can get to it. Uh, I'll link the Instagram page too. So people can also participate in polling and stuff. Um, so that'll be, that's great. Um, I didn't know any of this stuff that you just said. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I didn't know it either and it's still kind of developing, but, uh, in the process of looking for these job boards and stuff, it's been super interesting to find just so many resources. Yeah. And tons of stuff is Uh, free. Um, so the the other thing I didn't mention is like, if you're like, you know, want to spend this time learning how to code or something like that, there's tons of free classes now that like online classes. Um, and so there's tons of ways to sort of upskill in this economy. Yeah. What are some places that people are, um, able to take classes for free online? Um, there's actually like this other 
like aggregator for this thing. So I link it in one of the newsletters, but like tons of yeah. like LinkedIn, I think has some free offers. Udemy had a discount free code Academy. Like there's a ton of stuff out there. There's like a website that's specifically catered to like 150 Ivy league courses that you can cha- take online for free right now. Like there's, there's a lot that's out there. I think the the harder part is figuring out what's relevant to you right now in your job search. Like if you're, not everyone should learn how to code in this period is what I would say. Um, and so mm-hmm. figuring out what makes sense and what would complement the kind of jobs you're looking for. Um, that's a lot of homework on your end. So I would say yeah. like do that work first, um, before. You know, are you finding that some of these like, um, courses that are being offered are more geared towards the tech world or anything or like during yeah. towards any certain industry? Oh, certainly. I think, I mean, tech is doing a lot of like tech by nature of, of the kind of work and education it is. Yeah. It's, it's very online friendly. Um, and so, a lot of the job boards are very tech specific. Um, that being said, I have found a lot of resources outside of tech as well. So I wouldn't be okay. totally discouraged on that front. Um, but certainly from like a skill development and, and just pure job board thing. Yeah. There are a lot of tech job boards, but there's also a lot of tech companies hiring for non-tech roles. Okay. Great. There was one thing that I forgot to talk about having actual mental health problems as a worker. Have you, have you pulled anyone? on um how they deal with actual mental health in the workplace like certain conditions in the workplace i haven't specifically asked that um and i would be happy to and very interested to hear um i think part of that is like the nature of polling is very like choice a or b um and i think with this there's a lot more nuance and so uh, you know i think that actually the benefit of doing a lot more of these like story-based interviews that i found is like you get to, to actually hear the, the narrative and, and the stories behind just like a yes or a no. Um, so I haven't asked that specifically, but, um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think mental health in the workplace is a huge issue that is, um, I think it's very easy for companies to be like, Oh, like download our like free app that we have resources to, or like that stuff. And like, that's a huge step in the right direction by all accounts. Um, but when it comes to actual, like feeling like you can talk about that stuff at work. Yeah. I mean that building a culture around that is super tough. Um, I'm very fortunate. I think my company now is like very good about that and people are very open. Um, but I think that came from a culture of like having leadership who's very open to talking about that stuff. Um, I will say, I mean, discrimination and sort of like, you know, if people sort of treat you differently around any sort of mental health issues, I mean, that's, that would be a violation of like the ADA. And, and I think like people need to remember that there are legal protections. So if you feel like someone is not giving you work because they're like, they don't think that you can do it for reasons that it's, it's not fair. Um, you know, uh-huh. you should remember that you do have agency in that aspect. And like obviously going to HR and doing all that stuff is tough, but I think it's helpful to keep that in the back of your mind that like, you, they're, like these are things that you're protected around legally. Yeah. How have people been talking about like this working from home situation? Have people been talking more about how they've been dealing with it? Yeah, I think there's been, um, I mean, uh, we asked about like, you know, do people have tips for working from home? Um, people have asked a lot of questions about just like the working from home environment. A lot of people are like, how long will this go on? You know, I think, um, it, it, it's been a very open dialogue around that. Cause I do think it's one of those things that all of us are going through together. Um, and yeah, everyone has a different experience with it. Um, I think one of the people that one of the subsets of people that have had it the toughest working parents. Um, and you know, there's this like an amazing article about it, but it's like this whole work from home thing has made the plight of working parents very visible. 
So you see the kid in the background of the calls, you see them like it, it, they're not, you know, you have to entertain a four-year-old in addition to doing your J job. Um, and so making a lot of the sort of inequities of people's actual lives or the difficulties of people's actual lives, whether it be like, yeah, I live in a house where it's like really hard to have internet because, you know, whatever the situation might be, or I have kids in the house, like all of that stuff becomes much more real and visible in the work from home environment. Yeah, so, especially if your kids are in school and you have to homeschool. Yeah, um, I found it to be true also for like universities now where people are doing online education from home. Um, you know, everyone doesn't come from a home where your Wi-Fi is super great and you can do Zoom calls. Like all of that stuff yeah. is, is a privilege that I think people forgot. Um, and so... Uh, and that goes from like, all, like all levels of school. Like, you know, there's tons of elementary schools now that are like fully not operational because who, who has a laptop for their kid? Like you have to have yeah. a certain income level to be able to have that kind of thing. I've seen people say that this pandemic has been like the great equalizer. I think that comes from such a misguided, like privileged, like steeply privileged point of view. Yeah. There is, if, if anything, it's been the great revealer. It's, I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot about just like, you know, I was talking to a teacher earlier and she was like, some of my students like don't have lunch at home. Like this is a very different, you know, the, the inequities that this is sort of illuminated are beyond what I think most of us have even understood. Also, I think policy action has reflected that. Like we literally almost passed, like we, we were moving towards universal basic income as like an actual discussion in this country or universal healthcare. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's certainly true. I think one of the questions we asked was there was like this like beautiful image of just like the two COVID worlds. Um, so one is like the world where you're watching Tiger King and you're baking and you're like reflecting and learning about yourself. And the other is like figuring out healthcare, a doctor's appointment, like all of that stuff. Um, and I really do. And like figuring out unemployment and then like the same person is likely figuring out a lot of those issues at once. Um, and I, you know, I asked the people I pull and mo like, these are all like, you know, highly privileged millennials. So most of them were existing in the COVID world of this being in a lovely pause in your life and reflective period. And I'm working from home. Um, but that's an incredible privilege. Um, and I think we lose sight of that because we're also super isolated in this time. Yeah, very true. You know what I saw the other day? I've been seeing, not just the other day, I've been seeing this a lot. I've been seeing all these articles about like, on how to increase productivity, um, working from home. And then some of them will say like this will spew like this garbage about how like you have to like get ready for the day. You have to like, um, you have to like put on pants and like stop wearing sweatpants and all this stuff. And I'm like, first of all, I don't know why you care so much if I'm wearing sweatpants. Also, you know, like I just realized that like this, that second COVID word that you're talking about, people don't necessarily even have access to like laundromats right now. Like lots of people don't have laundromats that like, you know, that they can clean their clothes. Like people have to ration their clothes right now. Sometimes laundromats aren't even open. It's a, yeah, I think like the whole, all it's, it's like, it's not even just like one thing. It's like the idea of routine is a privilege in this world. Right. And so yeah. like people are like, Oh, like set up a routine and like try to build that. It's like, I can have a routine if I don't have a loved one who is like in the hospital right now. I can have a routine if like, I know that like I can pay my rent. Like all this stuff is like predicated on a certain degree of normalcy and you can maintain normalcy if you have privilege. Yeah. 
It's a a heavy topic, but I think certainly something that we should be using this time to reflect on. Yeah, I think this is, if ever there was a time to reflect on privilege, um, this is it. Absolutely. I super appreciate you giving us like all these different resources. Um, I signed up for the newsletter, even though I'm not Nick necessarily, you know, like struggling with, I'm switching jobs right now, Yeah, but it's just like interesting for me to see like what else is going on, you know? Um, But I really appreciate this talk. Um, If there's, is there anything else that you wanted to cover that I haven't asked you about? No, I think this was awesome. I think honestly, like in the process of talking about this stuff, I've certainly learned a little bit about like how, you know, you might be thinking about this and just helping me think through a lot of these questions too. That's great. I love that. Um, what else is next for millennial jobs? Um, I think millennial jobs will continue to be the sort of job platform and resources and advice. Um, I think, you know, as COVID kind of continues the nature of what will be helpful to people will change. So I think in the beginning it was like side hustles and online resources and job boards. Um, and I wonder, you know, going forward, if it's going to be more like, how do you, how can you help in the community? And like, so I think it'll, it'll evolve as the situation evolves. So I have no idea what the newsletter in July will look like. Um, but, uh, the one in the one that's coming up is, is, is chock full of resources and it'll be being sent very soon. Um, Cool. Yeah. Um, so that's it for the newsletter. I think the polls, yeah, I think, um, you know, ask all of your questions. Uh, I'm thinking of trying to maybe write an article or something like that, synthesizing some of these findings, because um, it is interesting to sort of view these questions in, in connection with each other. Um, and then, yeah, the interviews are really going to be sort of how I, I, I kind of think about these questions more practically and what they actually mean. Great. And people can submit questions that they want to know more about, right? Yeah. The, the polls are just DM me. Um, I will ask away and yeah, if you can tell your friends to vote in the poll that you asked about, it's super helpful just to get more people in the polls and, and the more diverse people that we can get voting, the better and understanding we can all have around these questions. So, uh, tell your friends to follow and vote. Yes. Follow millennial career polls on Instagram. And like I said, I'll have links for everything in the description. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. This is awesome. I'm really glad that you're talking about these issues. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad that we like in such a serendipitous way, just like found each other. Yeah. Thankful for Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. What a great place. So that's the end of the episode. If you have any questions or if you want to just connect, you can also reach out to me on Facebook and Instagram at at the Desi Condition or by email at the Desi Condition at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter as TDC podcast underscore. The underscore is very important. You can also visit tdcpodcast.com for further information about this topic as well as other episodes. And speaking of my website, very exciting. I'm starting a directory for South Asian creatives. So writers, artists, musicians, uh, comedians, and everyone can connect, support, and collaborate with each other. So if you fit any of those categories, please feel free to submit yourself to the directory by visiting tdcpodcast.com and clicking on the link on the upper right corner that says Desi Creatives Directory. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I hope you learned something and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please 
please consider leaving a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you're all as safe and warm as you can possibly be. And thank you again for tuning in. And I will talk to you next time.